0: father this morning we celebrate the risen savior we thank you for your son jesus who bore a penalty that was not his to wear so that we would be reconciled with you and god that line we just sang for our father's arms are open wide god we thank you that that is true in every season in every situation that you are a loving heavenly father who wants nothing more than us to just keep moving towards you god uh, whatever's in the way of that this morning uh, we ask that it be removed god that whatever obstacle stands between us and you that it would um, pale in comparison to the goodness of you the love that you have towards us amen thank you team for leading us in that time. That was great. How's everyone doing? That is good. Hey, I'm really sorry. I'm just trying to figure this thing out. Here we go. I think we're on. Um, Hey, it's good to uh, have you here this morning. It's good to be able to share with you. If um, we've not met before, my name is Isaac. I'm uh, on staff here, lucky enough to be part of the team. And we are really glad... ...that you are here this morning. Turn to someone next to you and say, I'm glad you're here. Glad you are here. Hey, uh, if you are with us for the first time, uh, you are actually jumping into uh, like a mini-series that we're coming back to. We've come back to a couple of times this year. We will continue to do so uh, into next year as well. That we have called Under the Radar. Um, Under the Radar. And these are highlights from the Bible's most under-read, under and under-the-radar books. Um, we've had a number of sermons. These are often uh, sort of books of the Bible that are maybe only a chapter or so that um, often don't get a lot of airtime when it comes to series. So we're going to be coming back to this a, a few times. Um, and actually, we're going to park out in this under-the-radar series for... Oh, sorry, wrong one. For the next month, um, today... I'm kicking us off. Next week, we have um, John Adia is sharing with us. The following week, AJ will be sharing with us. And um, week four, we actually have another local pastor coming to share with us. Siobhan Hewson is a pastor from Encounter Church up at Wall's End. And uh, we're lucky enough to have her with us in a couple of weeks sharing. And this four weeks is going to be all um, around the Minor Prophets. Now, if you're hearing that for the first time and you go, what's the mind prophets? That's okay. We're going to cover that in a little bit. But um, we have also just come off a 10-week series that we called So Loved. Who was around for that? Yeah, it was great. And we looked at the big story of the Bible. We looked at this constant thread of God's love towards humanity, this constant reaching out towards humanity, um, that that story is apparent from the first page through to the last of the Bible. But also, in turn, we as followers of Jesus are asked to show that same love to the world around us. And DJ did a fantastic job, I think, of putting that series together and leading us through it. Um, He's not here this morning to give him a pat on the back, but he uh, he really has done a great job. And I think... uh, he, has, he is having a well-deserved holiday. They got two weeks off, as mentioned. DJ turned the big 5-0 last Wednesday. And I um, got a photo update from Lou, this Fiji trip of just lounging around by the pool. She said 50 has really knocked DJ in a way that they weren't <laughs> expecting. So this Fiji trip's looking a little different to, to what the girls had expected. But anyway... That's just how it goes sometimes, but all jokes aside, DJ is doing a great job. Um, I think this series was just sort of another snippet of DJ's heart for not just the local church, but Newvine, and for Newvine to thrive, and for New Vine to not just be this little insulated Christian bubble, but how is it that we engage with the community that we are in, that the love of Jesus would be known? Um, that we would be able to represent that love to the people around us. So uh, I encourage you to be praying for these guys, that it would be a refreshing couple of weeks, because DJ's doing a great job. It's probably not helpful having that up there while we give him a big rap, hey? Um, all right. Well, today, as I said, we're jumping into the minor prophets. Uh, there's a, a chunk of the Bible that I'm going to give you a summary of, if, uh, you know, just a refresher, or maybe this is... First time you have seen this. This is sort of, these are the books of the Old Testament. Um, And we start with book one, Genesis. And the first sort of like little chunk we have is Genesis through to Deuteronomy. And I want you to imagine you're walking through a library and sort of there's categories of books. Okay. These first five fall into what we call law. Um, And really, this outlines what it looks like for a particular group of people the Israelites to follow God and these books really just sort of tell them how they are to do that Um, our next grouping runs from Joshua through to Esther have I got that no I think I've missed a note here is that right I can't read that up there. Joshua through to Esther, yes. And these books are categorized as history. Um, And this is the repeated story of the people of Israel sort of trying to abide by these laws, falling short sometimes, turning their back on God other times. And God, by his grace, continues to pull these people back to him, continues to reconcile himself to them. And these books sort of cover the history of God's redemptive nature we then see five books that we often class as poetry and wisdom and these books exist to try and help the israelites understand this redemptive nature of god it sort of brings wisdom and clarity into what god is like because they're on this repeated cycle of walking away from god god brings them back they walk away god brings them back and these books exist to sort of go hey this is what god is like and then finally, the remaining 17 books of the Old Testament we call the prophets. And a prophet, put simply, is someone used to deliver um, a message on behalf of God. Often these message were, messages were um, of warning, and they were for a people group or a city. Often they were delivered to various kings. The first five we call the major prophets, and the last 12 we call The Minor Prophets, with a number of these only being a couple of chapters. So, as I said, this next month we're going to cover the back half of these, the Minor Prophets. Um, and We're going to kick that off now, so I might just pray. Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that as we read your word, we just see and discover more and more what you are like. Your character, your love your grace and your mercy and god we ask this morning that as we open your word that we would have a greater understanding of who you are today we invite you to speak to us amen all right i'm going to give you a very quick warning okay and i'm also going to get a clock out i'm usually this is a pat on the back it's a bad way to start this it's a little pat on the back i'm usually pretty good at a short sermon today i am making up for a lot of short ones with an enormous one okay um, I, if I'm a podcast today, we're playing this at two speed, because I tried to cut one page out of this yesterday, and I added two pages. So <laughs> yeah, I'm seriously not on a, Anyway, let's just get on with it. Okay, I want you to do something for me. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes. And what I want you to do is I want you to think of a deep injustice, I want you to just think for a moment of something that just to your core you think is wrong. Maybe it causes you to clench your fists or grit your teeth. Maybe it breaks your heart. Maybe there's a deep sadness or maybe there's an anger that arises and and either of those feelings are okay. And, And what I want you to do now is If you can, I want you to try and put a face to that injustice. Maybe that's really easy. Maybe you are thinking of war or genocide or something of that nature and and pinpointing a face to that is easy. Maybe it's a bit more personal than that. Maybe it's the face of someone who has hurt you or maybe it's someone who continues to hurt you. You can open your eyes for me. In no way am I downplaying the um, significance of the damage that people or events can bring. But I want to ask you, what emotions surface when someone says that the grace and the forgiveness of God is not beyond that person? In the same way that you and I can experience forgiveness those faces that we just etched in our minds, those people too can experience the forgiveness of God. What does that cause within you? Maybe that brings a friction. And today, the story that we are looking around addresses this very dilemma. It addresses this deep-rooted sense and desire for justice that we each have. The tricky thing is that sometimes... Our sense of justice is very different to the justice that we see in the kingdom of heaven. And somehow we need to reconcile those things. So today we're going to do two things. We're going to explore this kingdom-shaped justice and forgiveness. And then hopefully as we do this, we're going to grow in our own theological understanding of this story. We're going to... um, Take it beyond what our life group often calls Sunday school theology. These well-known stories that we have somewhat of a framework based around, but maybe it sort of stops there. So in true Sunday school style, I'm going to introduce this story um, verbatim from a kid's video. Okay, Jonah was a wise old man who lived in Israel long, long ago. He was loved and respected by the people. Everyone came to him to solve their problems and he gave them wise advice. God loved him because he was a good man and he helped his fellow beings. Jonah loved God. He followed his teachings and he prayed to him all the time. Who knows this story? Who is it? Jonah. Okay, when we think of Jonah, what do we often think of? Jonah drumming. True. Jonah and the whale, who can throw back to Sunday school, and remember this story. Yep. Jonah and the whale. OK, if, you, if you're visiting, if you're new, here's a snapshot. There's this guy, Jonah. God says, "Hey, I need you to go to Nineveh and give a message to the people there." Jonah goes in the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. He jumps on a boat. This big storm whips up. These sailors are sas going. There's something supernatural here. Jonah says, "It's me. Throw me overboard." So they throw him overboard. Jonah gets swallowed by a giant fish, spends a couple of days in this fish and has a chance to like think over his actions. Then this whale vomits him up on the beach. Jonah appears on the beach, then goes back to Nineveh, gives this message. All of Nineveh believe in God and turn from their ways. And then often our Sunday school uh, sort of you know key point home from that is that um, we should always obey God even when it's scary. Or you might get swallowed by a fish or something, who knows? But um, that's sort of the snapshot of Jonah. And that storyline is familiar to many of us, I am sure. And yes, listening to God and obeying God is very important. But it is not the main point of this story, nor was it ever meant to be. Nor was being swallowed by a fish. Turn to the person next to you and say, The fish is not the point. If you get one thing from this message today, it's that the fish is not the point, okay? Yes, kids' stories have to do that and embellish them because a front cover without a whale on it for the story of Jonah is just not going to sell. But the fish is not the point. And as we grow as adults, as we grow in our understanding of God, we also need to grow in our understanding of the Bible, of the Scriptures, and don't mistake childlike faith for childlike understanding. They're not the same thing. Both, are, One is very important, but they're not the same thing. So today, we're going to try and delve a bit deeper into this story of Jonah. So right from the get-go, I want to use this as an example. Um, Jonah was a wise old man who lived in Israel long, long ago. He was loved and respected by the people. Everybody came to him to solve their problems, and he gave them wise advice. That is complete speculation, and it's rubbish. That is, We have no reason at all to believe that to be true of Jonah, and it's a pretty long bow to draw of Jonah's character. We hear of Jonah one other time in the book of Two Kings, where he prophesies favour and victory over King Jeroboam II, who was an evil king. This dude was corrupt, he was immoral, he was greedy. And Jonah comes in and prophesies that King Jeroboam's kingdom is going to grow. And, and then a, couple of book, a little while later, a couple of books over, Amos comes in and says, Sorry, King Jeroboam, Jonah was wrong. None of that's going to happen. Actually, because you've turned from God, your kingdom is going to be overthrown. So the, the first thing we see of Jonah is this guy who just like throws out a prophecy. Someone else comes in and goes, Incorrect. That's not how it's going to go down. Yet we read, he's this wise old man who everyone comes to for advice. It's a bit of a stretch. God loved him because he was a good man and he helped his fellow beings. We're literally about to read a story of a dude where God says, can you go give this message to those people? And Jonah goes, not a chance. I'm going in the other direction. (laughs) That is hardly love for your fellow beings. So... We're going to look at it a little bit more. If you have a Bible, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. This first verse doesn't mean much to you and I, but in its, uh, for its original audience, this first line is meant to just have you laughing out loud. Um, we're meant to read this. Jonah means dove and Amittai means faithfulness. So we read Jonah like this innocent guy who is son of faithfulness. And you're like, hang on a minute, the same Jonah that was all like hot air with King Jeroboam, the same Jonah that we're about to read of being as like the least faithful prophet in the Bible, the only prophet who directly disobeys God, like this is the son of faithfulness. Is that where we're getting at here? We're meant to read this and sort of like have our ears prick up and go, hang on a minute, this is all a little bit backwards here. From verse 1, you and I read this with very different eyes to the original readers of the Bible. We, uh, we read of sailors who at the time were like these immoral pagan guys who all of a sudden fall to their knees and worship God whilst they throw Jonah the prophet overboard. We read of the king of Nineveh who was the most evil king really known at the time. With a five-word sermon, just like falls to the ground and repents. And then on that, a hundred-odd thousand people and their cows all turn and repent. (laughs) And then it wraps up with... Sorry, it says that like a number of times, that cows repent. (laughs) I'm not making that up. That's not kids' book stuff. That's actually what happened. Um, Then we'd read of Jonah sitting on the outskirts of town, this prophet, whinging and sour as that the Ninevites have come to know God. And then somewhere in the middle of this story, this dude gets swallowed by a fish and vomited up on the beach. So there are some concepts here a children's book is never going to be able to pick up. And we need to ensure that our understanding of the story of Jonah doesn't stay rooted in a children's book. Um, Many scholars believe the book of Jonah was actually one of the last minor prophets written It wasn't written by Jonah. Um, We don't know who it was written by. But its genre is classified as satire. Um, If you're unsure of what satire is, satire is defined as the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices. That's a pretty brutal summary of satire. And I'm not implying that the book of Jonah exists to um, point out stupidity at all. But actually, um, a very common view among scholars is that this book is written to be a mirror for you and I. That it's written so backwards and so culturally absurd that we would be like, what is going on here? And the penny is meant to drop and we go, I'm Jonah. Oh, hang on a minute. This message is for me. I'm meant to be wrestling with the same questions here that God poses to Jonah in this story. So today we're just going to look at two key areas that we see in this book. We're trying to condense four chapters into a very short sermon. Um, But we're going to look at chapter 2. This is Jonah in the whale, praying to God. And also chapter 4, where Jonah goes outside the city and he sort of sits outside the city walls and watches in on what is going to unfold um, for... For this city and both of these i think are hugely confronting but i think as well a great reminder um, and a bit of a link off the back of our of so loved um maybe highlighting our own sort of propensity towards selfishness sometimes so uh chapter 1 verse 17 if you've got it now the lord provided a huge fish to swallow jonah jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days um We're going to read on, but just some very quick back story, if this passage is new. God asked Jonah to send a message, take a message to the Ninevites, um, and a message of warning to the people of Assyria, who were directly responsible for taking over northern Israel, who were Jonah's people. Um, The Assyrians were known for their brutality, their lawlessness, They were known for violence towards their captives. There's plenty of records indicating they skinned captives alive. Um, They were brutal. And it was a highly immoral city as well. So Jonah um, understandably hates the Ninevites. And when God gives him this message, he goes in the opposite direction. He turns around, literally goes as far in the opposite direction as was like of the known world at the time. He gets on a boat to escape. This storm whips up. Sailors throw him overboard, which at first glance seems quite noble, but really if you look at it, it's possibly the most selfish thing Jonah does in this whole story, where he says, well, hey, if I die here, then I don't have to do any of it. Throw me overboard. He gets thrown overboard, and this, this fish swallows Jonah, and whilst he's in the belly, we read this, chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple." The engulfing waters threatened me and the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. I love that line there. You listened to my cry. Jonah's in the whale and has this crazy moment where he's hit rock bottom and says, but God's there. God hears my cry. And this image of being swallowed into a place of darkness was quite familiar to the people of Israel. It was often used to illustrate these moments of walking away from God, turning our backs not only on God's plan, but God himself. We see it in um, Hosea chapter 8. Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something no one wants. Again, this idea in Jeremiah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured us. He has thrown us into confusion. He has made us an empty jar. Like a serpent, he has swallowed us and filled his stomach with our delicacies. And then he spewed us out. This is an image that we see throughout the Old Testament. So Jonah runs from Nineveh. He is running for his life. And by that, what I mean is Jonah is running to a place where he controls his life. He's running directly in the opposite direction from the life God had planned for him and he hits rock bottom. And I'm not sure if you have experienced this, maybe moments of realising sometimes our plan for life or the plan we believe would lead to life, doesn't. Maybe we didn't find the fulfilment we were hoping for Maybe you too, like Jonah, hit rock bottom and realized your need for God. In chapter 3, we read the fish um, as God saving Jonah. Very common sort of thought, that the fish saves Jonah. And yes, that's true. But there are a few implications, if that's our only thought around it. Because it can inadvertently imply that we have this continual safety net that saves us from our own dumb choices. Jonah tried to throw it all away, but it was part of God's plan, so God saved him and took him back. The tricky thing there is, the message of the Bible does not centre around your happiness, nor mine. Nor does following Jesus equate to a life where trouble or hardship or pain or any sort of suffering just disappears. And I'm really sorry if someone has led you to believe that's what the Christian faith is about. It's not entirely true. The point of following Jesus, his heart is that he, we would allow him to mould us into people that reflect him, to mould us into people that reflect Jesus. And, and God's not necessarily going to lift you up out of a problem every time you're in them. I'm sure we know this to be true, and we see this with Jonah. Jonah is in this dark place, suffering the consequences of his own actions. He's in this belly. And and sure, in this story, God brings Jonah out of the fish. But what is it that God does when Jonah resurfaces? Chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah again gets sent back to Nineveh. Jonah has this great moment of repentance in the belly and God hears him. And and however you interpret this story, metaphorically, literally, whatever it is, he gives Jonah this second shot at life. With that, Doesn't come this huge prosperity doctrine gospel where Jonah gets a new car and a house and no more debt and he's fully hit. That's not what happens. Jonah comes out of the whale and it's like God dusts him off and says, good work, now we're going back to Nineveh. Where it all began for you, we're going back there. God doesn't remove Nineveh from his plan for Jonah's life. God is far more interested in Jonah's character than he is Jonah's situation. And Jonah knows this. And we see it. Um, He acknowledges like God is good and, and merciful. And he says this. In the pit, he realizes that. If we're reading this, in the whale, he says, the Lord lifted me out of the pit. He's still in there. But he acknowledges that in that moment, his circumstances have nothing to do with God's commitment to him. So the first thing I want us to take away from this story is that your circumstances don't change God, but God won't always change your circumstances. He didn't for Jonah. He sent him straight back to the very thing that he he lined up for him at the start. Jonah has this wild couple of days in the belly of a fish and then ends up going to Nineveh anyway. So we're getting a lot, trying to jam a lot into this, I'm aware. But Jonah goes to Nineveh. He gives one of the laziest messages of all time. Okay, keep in mind he's obeying God. He still does not like the Ninevites. He shows up to Nineveh and says this 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all they get. In Hebrew, it is a five word sermon. There is no mention of God, there is no mention of their wrongdoing. There is no mention of repentance. If this was in an Australian Bible, it would pretty much say, your city's going down. And then he leaves. That's his message. Jonah does the absolute bare minimum and is sort of like, you're going down, good luck with that. I'm out of here. And what happens? It becomes like the most effective sermon in history. (laughs) Verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation issued in Nineveh By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Jonah does like virtually nothing and revival breaks out. He's gone from the prophet who shared a prophecy and completely got like, overthrown by Amos to the guy who did a five-word sermon and 100,000 people came to faith. You think he would be on cloud nine, right? He is killing it as a prophet. But we read this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. How's that, eh? 100,000, 100, 120, depending on where you read. 120-odd thousand people come to faith from a five-word sermon, and Jonah became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, that you're slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. We've just seen a whole city transformed, and Jonah says, let me die. None of this makes me happy, just let me die. Jonah's own sense of justice just leaves him completely blind to the miracle that took place. And this really sums up the story of Jonah. Jonah's sort of going, God, I ran away because I knew you were going to forgive them. I knew that you were going to be compassionate. I I knew your mercy would surpass those people getting what they deserve, and that's why I didn't want to go. Jonah's there going, they don't deserve your forgiveness. Do you know what they've done to me do you know what they've done to the people that I care about? Do you know the pain that they have caused? Do you have any idea how evil they are? They don't deserve your grace. And it's really sad, don't you think, to read that? I love the book of Jonah, in case you can't tell. <laughs> but I find these couple of verses just tragic. That Jonah is heartbroken that this huge group of people have come to know Jesus because justice wasn't served in the way that he thought it should be. I'm sure we've got this story of a fish swallows a guy. That's cool. But this here, this exposing of Jonah's heart, I think is just so confronting. God, they don't deserve it. That's why I didn't go. That's why I never wanted to go. I was reading a commentary earlier in the week that summed up the book of Jonah with this one line. Sometimes it's easier for God to change the hearts of 100,000 unbelievers than it is for him to change the heart of one believer. That's a pretty good sum up of this story, hey? Like that, God has 100,000 people come to a place of repentance. But Jonah, this prophet, this man of God, his heart's like stone. The book of Jonah illustrates a man's tension with the reckless grace and love of God. Jonah's tension with a God who's just on this never-ending pursuit of reconciliation with humanity. And that's something you and I have been invited into. We read in Titus chapter 2, For the grace of God has been revealed... Bringing salvation to all people. It's by the grace of God that people can experience the love and the forgiveness of God. What I want you to do is I want you to bring to mind those people that you were thinking of earlier. I want to ask you, is the image of this person experiencing the goodness and the love and the forgiveness of God Enough for you to let go of your own desire for justice. Maybe we could pose it this way. Does your heart for redemption outshine your need for justice? We have this inbuilt bent towards justice. But so often, it's very different to the redemptive nature of God. Sadly, in this story, Jonah couldn't. This chapter finishes up, as we said, with Jonah sitting on the outskirts of town, waiting and watching, hoping that God will just bring destruction upon the city of Nineveh. And when God doesn't, Jonah literally asks God to kill him. The fact that Jonah's watching in and they don't get, you know, thrown into a ball of flames. Jonah says, God, kill me. I'd rather die. I'm going to invite our music team up as we wrap up. Um, I chose the book of Jonah this morning not because it's particularly under the radar. We are all well aware, mostly, of the story of Jonah, but I do think that it's underread, And I do think it's underrated. And I do think it is a beautiful segue between our So Loved series and the couple of weeks that we're going to look at some of the other minor prophets. As we looked at So Love for 10 weeks, you and I looked at this beautiful message of hope, a message of grace and forgiveness and love, this message that we hold in our hands, the beautiful message of Jesus. Yet I wonder if, like Jonah, sometimes our view of right and wrong, our own sense of justice or maybe even our defining of sin, mars what is otherwise a beautiful message. So I want to urge you this morning to not allow your own view of justice be a stumbling block between someone else and God. Don't be a Jonah, but actually embrace the character of Jesus in going, hang on a minute, The restoration of a life. I'm willing to let go of what I hold to to see that come to be. Yes, it hurts. Sometimes it's not fun. But trusting that God, by the power of His Spirit, would bring those He loves to a place of repentance, like He did with the people of Nineveh. You and I are invited into that story to be messengers of the good news and the grace and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. And sometimes it's going to require us to put our own sense of justice to the side. That's just part and parcel in what it looks like to try and be Jesus to the world around us. I'm going to invite you to stand. I encourage you this week... to do something that might be actually pretty gutsy. It might actually be painful. That's not why I'm asking you to do it. Maybe if you pause for a moment and really eyeball it, there are people in your life who, if you're honest, something within you doesn't want the grace of Jesus to grab a hold of them. Something within you doesn't want forgiveness to be overflowing within their life i want to ask you this week to just bring that before the lord and give it to him so god you know the pain associated with this but i'm trusting that by your grace someone is going to experience the goodness of god in their life And then maybe even beyond that, the next question is, and God, how do you want me to be a part of it? What's my role to play in this story of redemption? God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are full of grace and mercy. God, we acknowledge the reason we are sitting here today is because of those things. Father, that song we sang earlier, a father whose arms are open to anyone that would walk towards him. We thank you for the good news of Jesus, the news of the cross, the promise of healing and restoration. And God, we ask that you would continue to bring those things within our lives. But God, we want to be a part of taking that message to the world. God, we want to be people who are known by their love, known by their radical grace and forgiveness. So we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would be at work within us so that the world around us would experience not us, but you working through us. We thank you for who you are and this continual calling of us towards yourself. Amen.